and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was in Gibeah. And Uzzah and Ahab, the sons of Abinadab, drave the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was at Gibeah, accompanying the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. And David and all of the house of Israel played before the Lord on all manner of instruments made of fir wood, even on harps and psalteries and timbrels and on carnets and on cymbals. Skipping down to verse 9. And David was afraid of the Lord that day. David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How shall the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him into the city of David. But David carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months. Everybody say three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. And it was told King David saying, The Lord hath blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that pertaineth unto him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with gladness. Everybody say gladness. I want to preach to you for a little while today. Just simply celebrate. Everybody say thank God for the word. God bless you and you may be seated. Thank you. Someone said people of our time are losing the power of celebration. People of our time are losing the power of celebration. Instead of celebrating, we seek to be amused or entertained. Celebration is an active state, an act of expressing reverence or appreciation. To be entertained is a passive state. It is to receive pleasure afforded by an amusing act or spectacle. Celebration is a confrontation given attention to the transcendent meaning of one's actions. Someone else said the most beautiful things, the most beautiful things are not associated with money. They are memories and moments. If you don't celebrate those, they can pass you by. Has anybody learned that to be true? The text I read a few moments ago is one of the most intriguing stories in the Bible, in my opinion. And it has been preached, no doubt, hundreds and thousands of times. But today I want to present to you a context in this Scripture reading that perhaps you've not given thought to. If we look at the Merriam-Webster, to help us understand the nature of the enthusiasm with which David danced, we find that enthusiasm is sometimes defined as religious fanaticism. Enthusiasm is strong excitement of feeling, kind of like we felt here this morning. And to be enthusiastic means to be a person who is ardently or passionately attached to a cause, an object, or pursuit, or one who tends to become ardently or passionately absorbed in an interest. The key word seems to be ardent, which is characterized by warmth of feeling typically expressed in eager, zealous support 
or activity. You might be wondering why the word enthusiasm would initially be linked with things religious in nature. Entheos, entheos, is the English equivalent of the Greek words which means in God. And the word enthusiasm is derived from the Greek word enthusia, which comes from the words entheos. So when we say we feel enthusiasm, or if we feel enthusiastic, it literally means we feel like we are in God or have God inside of us. People whose enthusiasm is expressed with great zeal tend towards behavior we think of as fanatical. A fanatical person is an enthusiastic devotee whose behavior is marked by excessive enthusiasm. How many among us today are feeling so entheos that your behavior is marked by excessive enthusiasm? That's why I applaud today Sister Yvonne and even Sister Brooke for literally getting out of the aisle and maybe others I didn't see. But they were literally having an in-God moment or at least God in them moment. And they just simply got enthusiastic about God in us, the hope of glory. That right there is a reason to celebrate. While most of you look at me with a strong, very denominational lookness about you that says, that's right, Pastor. Man, I was just giving it all I got and made eye contact with somebody sitting way over here, and all I got was a... Appreciate it. Don't over-celebrate now on this side. Y'all don't... I don't call EMS now. My suspicion is that there are some of us who are wired to be enthusiastic, and others of us, obviously, who are not. Enthusiasm is a predisposition for some people. And for those folks, there's nothing that does not interest and excite them. Others of us can be enthused if there's reason to be enthused. And we can actually behave in excessive, enthusiastic behavior on occasions that warrant it. I don't think David was enthusiastic about everything all the time either. However... I do believe that David is a model for us in recognizing the goodness of God and celebrating those occasions where the goodness of God is evident like this morning. Somebody clap your hands. In other words, those, everyone who looks for the goodness of God will be enthusiastic in his or her response to that goodness. Everyone who looks for the goodness of God will be enthusiastic in his or her response to that goodness. On some occasions, we are compelled to celebrate. Sometimes God's goodness, Brooke, makes us cut loose or break through in celebration. Sometimes God's goodness makes us cut loose 
or breakthrough in celebration. I've been thinking all week, and I can't get this, this picture out of my head. I don't suppose I'll ever forget it, and I hope I do not. But it was several months ago. We were having a wonderful move of God, and people here at Grace Church were celebrating the goodness of God. I remember our sweet Sister Dean Dykes stood to her feet in her uh, limited physical expression. I believe she gave as much to God that morning as Sister Yvonne and Sister Brooke did running the aisles a few moments ago. It took her a little while, but she did her a twirl in the Holy Ghost. It may not have been as fast, and it may not have been as exuberant, but it was with all of her might, buddy. And that's what God wants to see out of all of us. I need some well-able bodies here this morning to get up on your feet and shout out to God and thank Him for His goodness. Come on, Grace Church, let's put it out there for Jesus. Hallelujah. You may be seated. David and all the people of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with all of their might. They were singing songs and playing all kinds of musical instruments. The Ark of God, or the Ark of the Covenant, began in Exodus chapter 25 with the instructions God gave to Moses for its making. Specific instructions were given for its size and for its design. They were to place the tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant inside of the ark. God told Moses that the ark would be a place where God would meet with him. And the ark was a place God would give his people direction. The ark of God represented the presence, power, protection, and blessing of God. And it was to be carried... And it was to be carried by two poles slid through rings on either side and neither and never to be touched by a human hand. I believe the ark still exists today and I believe that commandment still applies to it. That's my personal opinion. But there was a time in the history of the nation of Israel when the ark of God was lost out of their possession. The story unfolds in 1 Samuel chapters 4 through 7. The Philistine army captured the ark from the Israelite army, took it home where they displayed it in the temple of Dagon. However, as we all know, God was not pleased with the arrangement and afflicted the Philistine people with tumors. So they insisted that the ark be returned to the Israelites. The ark was placed on a new cart driven by two oxen which delivered the ark to the Israelite territory where the oxen stopped in a field. And when the ark was found, the men of the community were apparently overcome with curiosity and were struck dead when they opened the ark to see what was on the inside. So it remained, uh, it was taken to the hillside home of a man named Abinadab, where it remained there for 20 years. One bad experience in a relationship with God-based moment caused them to literally shelve the presence of God in their life for 20 years. 
Now, before we point fingers and get a little too judgmental, there's a host of people here today that's done the same thing. They didn't leave the nation of Israel, nor did they abandon the commandments of Moses. They just didn't celebrate the presence of God. I just want y'all to know that I'm up here with eight pages of notes that I've shortened from 20, and I'm going to do my best to keep moving. But I want to stop right here and preach for a long time. I've tackled this on Wednesday night. Now you know what I've been doing for the past four or five Wednesday nights. Has a light come on for anybody about our attitude? There's people here today that's had one bad experience with either church people, a pastor, or God. And you got angry over it, and you put him on the shelf for 20 years not knowing how to get him back into your life. Today I'm going to help you make that happen. I feel the Holy Ghost. I could run through a troop and leap over a wall right now. And it's interesting to me that during this 20-year period, if you study the nation of Israel, they felt like God had abandoned them. God had Philistine people put what represented his presence on a cart and got it pulled by two oxen and brought into the middle of their community and had it stop in the middle of the field. And they think God abandoned them? What else do you want God to do to step back into your life? I'm going to preach here for a minute, buddy. I, I got something treed right here. I want to say that again. God used two animals because Israel didn't have the guts to go after the presence of God themselves. So God used two animals to bring that car, His presence back to them and parked it at their doorstep. And they still, only thing they could do is say, what is that? And when took the lid off of it, wanted to know what was on his inside. They knew what it was. They knew how to embrace it. They knew how to treat it. There's no reason why those men shouldn't have went and got a priest somewhere and said, hey, pastor, the presence of God is back. We need to celebrate, man. We need to throw a party. Okay, sit there and look at me like Brooke Trout. But I'm preaching today. The reason more good things don't come into our lives is because we don't know how to celebrate God's goodness even when he has something of nature bring his presence to our doorstep. We still have this propensity, well, I want to be like the world, and I don't want to commit and all that kind of stuff. When you live in a nicer home than you've ever lived in, you drive a nicer car than you've ever driven, you have better jobs than you've ever worked, the blessing of God is flowing out of your life like I don't know what, and it's God's way of taking His presence on the back of beast and deliver it to your doorstep, and we still don't celebrate His goodness. That wasn't in my notes. That's just the part I took out. 20 years. Not 20 days, man. Imagine being 20 years old and finding this, the presence of God hit your door and you don't respond to it properly and you wallow around until you're 40. 
And all of a sudden, a light bulb comes on in your head and says, Hey, I need the presence of God in my life. It could have been all along. God brought it to you 20 years ago. But you got mad and pouty. You didn't break your relationship with God. You just quit celebrating it. Uh, did I just kill the whole environment here? So 20 years later, after David had established his reign as king and designated Jerusalem as the city of David, he decided it's time to bring the Ark of Covenant home. You think? Oh, it's been 20 years since we've had the presence of God in our church. I think we need to bring him back. You think? I don't want to go 20 minutes. I don't want to go 20 seconds. I don't want to go a 20th of a fraction. That four out of three people didn't get that. So now, here's come, here comes the moment. Listen to Pastor. That wasn't a high point. There's another one, two or three more coming. It is the occasion of finally, after 20 years, we're bringing the ark of God back to the city of Jerusalem where it will rest as a symbol of the real presence and power of God in our midst. And we're going to celebrate it every day. That moment has come. We're bringing back the presence of God into our temple, our country, our nation, our worship, everything. And we're going to celebrate, man. And so David goes to Abinadab and said, hey, man, we need the ark back. And he says, okay, and uh, I want my two boys to be involved in this, King David. And David said, no problem. So Yuza and Aiao was selected. And David got all of Jerusalem together, all of Israel together. And they began this huge celebration that they're bringing the Ark of Covenant back into Jerusalem. And all the people of Israel begin to celebrate with all of their might. Hang on. Hang on. I don't know that we can quite relate to that experience, though there are times when we do gather like this morning to celebrate the goodness of God. Did y'all notice just how our attitude changing this morning, what it did to this service? When I said celebrate, it shot through here like a bullet. And people were on their feet, ha, ha, ha. You wasn't doing that last Sunday. It's an attitude thing. It's an attitude. So hang on, watch this. So here's David after 20 years. They're going to bring the Ark of Covenant back. And they start all this celebration, what have you. And they want to continue to carry the ark like it was brought to them. You can't do it your way. If you want to carry the presence of God in your life, you have to go back to the original covenant. Yes, the Philistines put it on a cart, but the Philistines don't know God like we do. And for the people of God who want to take his presence and 
instead of carrying it because it's heavy and it's hard and you want to put it on a cart to make it easy, that ain't going to work. You have to follow covenant rules of order. I thought I'd get more than a right and a yes, sir, out of that. That's why a pastor don't compromise what we teach and believe here. We're going to keep carrying it. Some people don't like it. It's too heavy. It's too hard. And it's too many rules. You let the ark get out of balance and try to straighten it up yourself and see what happens. I ain't touching it. Buddy, I got more to preach here today. I need a week. But they planned the celebration. And hopefully, as much as they plan to celebrate the presence of God, we will do it every time we come together. We will celebrate the goodness of God. As a matter of fact, I'm going to stop right here. This ain't a good environment, but I want you to plow through something right now. Those of you whose homes flooded in 2016, I want you to stand up and clap your hands and shout to the Lord right now. Stand up and do it. Look at that. Thank you. Thank you. Clap your hands and shout to the Lord. We still have Jesus. We lost our home. We lost our furniture. But we still have Jesus. My, 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 my. That is amazing. Thank you. That is amazing. Thank you. So the ark was placed on a cart and was being pulled by oxen for the eight-mile trip. They couldn't recruit enough men to carry the ark for eight miles. It wasn't that huge, and it wasn't that heavy that you couldn't find enough men to carry it. They weren't carrying it 80 miles or 800 miles. It was about an eight-mile trip from Bala to Jerusalem. About a halfway along the journey, Hanak stumbled, and one of the men helping transport the ark reached up to steady it. And as soon as Yuza put his hand on the side of the ark, he was struck dead. Here, in the midst of all the revelry and excitement about the goodness of God, they weren't celebrating their birthday here, folks. They were celebrating Jehovah God with all of their might. And God took one of their most favored men, who was the son of the man, that kept that ark safe for the past 20 years. And God struck him dead for touching the ark. You know kind of how I feel about this. Thank you. I remember when church was in Baker. And we were instrumental in help winning one of the sweetest men I've ever met in my life. And Brother Bob Thompson. And God took him. And it still don't make sense to me. Had a massive heart attack and died. No preparation, no warning. I was angry over that. God, we finally got a good man 
that loved the church, that loved the kingdom, and you took him. I had a similar feeling when the flood of 2016 hit. And on that Friday, Saturday, even Sunday, we had church the first Sunday after the flood, as you know. I think we had 31, 32 people who was able to show up that morning in this building. We had church. I was angry. I still don't get the point. If God had a point in doing that, I don't get it. I'm going to go ahead and name some things so you'll understand where I'm coming from with this message. I didn't understand. I still don't understand. Our church was running at such a, an awesome peak in January of two years ago when Dawson Bunch was diagnosed with leukemia. I still don't get that. I don't understand the Wheelers coming and visiting Grace Church committed and a week or two later their son was taken in a horrible tragedy, a horrible, horrible car accident. Good people taken for no apparent reason. The son of a priest. People whose faithfulness is impeccable. In Dawson's case, people whose faithfulness submitted has been impeccable through the years. So in the midst of all the revelry and excitement about the goodness of God, seemingly God's anger blazed out and killed a man who was trying to do a good thing. Listen to me, Grace Church. Not everything feels like the goodness of God. Not everything feels like the goodness of God. Sometimes God does or allows things that makes us angry. Y'all know why I've been teaching on Wednesday night with all of my heart. I've been preparing for this moment right here. The ox stumbled. It was no one's fault. And Yuza put out his hand to steady the ark of God. The Lord's anger blazed out against Yuza for doing this. And God struck him dead beside the ark of God. David was angry because the Lord's anger had blazed out against Yuza. So here in the middle of a huge celebration of the goodness of God. An ox stumbles. And to keep the ark from falling onto the ground, a good man reaches up to steady it. And God blazes out in anger at the poor, well-meaning transporter who was just trying to prevent a disaster. Most of us, along with those at the scene that day, would think God was a little harsh on this one. David didn't think God was a little harsh. He thought God was a lot harsh. And he was angry at God for the severity of his anger. David was angry at God for being angry. I'm not going to belabor this point because it is so negative and it's so heart-wrenching and heartbreaking. But has anybody ever been there before? Where you're just doing the very best you can with all of your might as sincere as you know how. 
and something God awful happens in your life and leaves you flat on your back staring up into the sky saying, what in the world did happen, did just happen? And is this what I get for trying to do something great? Is this what I get for celebrate? Over the years, I've been angry at God for things God has done or allowed to happen. I don't know that any of them were actually instances when God blazed out in anger, but nonetheless, the fact that God would allow such things is perplexing and at times maddening. And in this case, it is particularly confusing when a good God, when a good God goes off in anger over what seems to be a rather innocent reaction over something any one of us would have done had we been in Yusuf's place. But theologians remind us that the ark was meant to be carried by the poles inserted through the rings on either side of the cabinet and that it was never intended to be transported on a cart. So the ark should have never been on the wagon in the first place. And everyone knew that no one, absolutely no one, was to touch the ark. Anyone who did would die. So what happened was the natural consequence of disobeying God. So bottom line, it just seems like we can't make God behave like we want Him to. It seems God cannot be tamed. It seems that God being God will act however God wants to act. And so now it put David in a place of fear. David was now afraid of the Lord and asked, How can I bring the ark of God back into my care? After 20 years and celebrating and want to bring it back. Now this happens, so I'm going to take one more shot at bringing the presence of God back into my care. So David decided not to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David for now. David's response to a frightening God was to park the ark and leave it, rather than risk another outbreak of God's anger. And there are people here this morning, whether you realize it or not, are doing the same thing. There's people here this morning that used to be involved in the kingdom. You used to be involved in church on a greater level than you are now. And something happened. You got burned. And where you anticipated a merciful God, you saw the other side of God is the way you're taking it. And so you've decided that I'm not going to backslide. I'm not going to throw in the towel. I'm not going to leave Israel. I'm not going to leave the church. But I'm not going to put myself out there anymore. Because if I, the moment I choose to celebrate the goodness of greatness of God, something bad is going to happen again, and I'm just going to get shut down again. Who said it's true? Casey, it is true. And I see people living this every day. I have never felt so more in the will of God than I do right now. If David is our model for worship, then David's attitude 
needs to be our model for attitude. He did park the ark. He did leave it at Obed-Edom's house for three months. He had some soul searching to do. And this is what David came up with. Listen to Pastor. It seems that there are two very large, giant, emotional swings in this story. One is unrestrained joy and celebration over the goodness of God. The other is unrestrained fear over the anger of God. I think it's interesting to observe how our basic understanding of the nature of God works itself out in the way in the way we practice our faith. I think it's interesting to observe how our basic understanding of the nature of God works itself out in the way we practice our faith. Those who have a loving and gracious God are giving to joy and celebration while those with an angry and judging God are given to fear and restraint. The celebrators cannot understand or appreciate the restraint of the restrained, and the restrained cannot understand or appreciate the abandon of the celebrators. David found that celebration and fear with regard to God are not either-or options. Balance in worship is the weaving together of reverence and celebration. So this is what David decided to do. The ark has been parked in the house of Obed-Edom for three months. David went through a long cycle of repentance, of getting his attitude reoriented, getting what we call an attitude adjustment. So this is what he did. He took his fear, and with everything he could muster, he coupled it with faith, and he decided, we're bringing the ark back to Jerusalem. Excuse my expression, come hell or high water. I'm having God in my life, no matter what it takes, and no matter what I have to do. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to summon every ox, sheep, lamb, everything, every turtle dove, everything I can find. And we're going to have men carry that ark. And for every six steps they take. We're going to stop right here. And we're going to dance. And we're going to shout. And we're going to worship. Hang on. His motivation was not celebratory. His motivation was fear. That's what motivated. The first go-round was celebration. The next time was reverence. God isn't somebody to be played with. And when God says something, He means it. So when you get to that sixth step, you may be a Sister Yvonne or a Sister Brooke, and you may hit the aisle going as fast as you possibly can. I did notice that they've been running together. Brooke would have outrun Yvonne. <laughs> it doesn't matter who's the fastest. It's just with all of your might. 
So, Sister Dean, you may not be able to get out in the aisle and run as fast as Brooke or even Sister Yvonne, but that's okay, sweet lady. Just give him all you got, man. Why? Because I love my God and I want to worship my God. But I also respect my God. And I revere what he says. And I want to play it by his rules. And the Bible said for every six steps, David sacrificed and danced with all of his might. You may be seated. You know, Jesus taught, give us this day our daily bread. But on that day, David spent probably about two-thirds of that day celebrating, rejoicing. On the one hand, he is out of his mind over the Ark of Covenant coming back to Jerusalem. On the other hand, all he can see is Yusuf laying in the floor dead. Somebody needs to get your head around what I'm preaching. This will elevate your maturity a hundredfold. I've noticed on numerous occasions in the past year, I'm not here to make a spectacle out of anybody or any event. I'm just using this to back up what I'm preaching. And I thank God we have people here today that I can do that with. But I've been preaching before and I turned around and looked and Earl Wheeler's on his feet, and he's shaking that fist, and he's shouting to the top of his lungs. Preach, Brother Murphy, he's done it here this morning. There has to be something on the inside of him that says, I'm in the presence of God's goodness right now. But there's another part of him that can't get his son laying in a casket out of his mind either. So somewhere between the two, you worship because this is a day that the Lord has made and I will rejoice. If I have ever felt like God is with us now, the praise team used to do a song, God is with us now. Y'all remember that? One did. If I've ever felt the manifestation and fullness of that song, I feel it right now. Nathan, God is with us right now, man. Right now. Not going to be. Not hope to be. Not three months from now. Not 20 years from now. He's with us. Hinesley, God is with us, man. Right now. Sister Pat, he's here right now. And somehow or another, all the tragedy and all the heartbreak, Mike and Sheila, all the frustration and anger, none of that can go over and exceed the presence of God. You sit down. So after the men who were carrying the ark had gone six steps, they stopped. I have one more high point before I quit. They stopped and waited so David could sacrifice an ox or a fattened calf. 
Then as the procession resumed, David danced before the Lord with all of his might, wearing a priestly tunic. He took off the, off the king's stuff, and he, he was a priest that day. So David and all Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with much shouting and blowing of trumpets. The Bible tells us that after three months it became known that the family where the ark was being stored was experiencing God's blessing. So David decided to complete the task of bringing the ark of God to Jerusalem, but this time he did it differently. This time men carried the ark, and after six every six steps, they stopped while David sacrificed an ox and fed a calf to God as an expression of reverence. They sacrificed as an expression of reverence, and David danced as an expression of excitement. Sacrifice and reverence, dancing and rejoicing and celebration. This is the way David managed to both celebrate the goodness of God and reverence the holiness of God. Pentecostals, listen to pastor today. We have to learn it. I'm not going to stand here and tell you your home's flooded because God was mad at you. I'm not going to say that, but he allowed it to happen to teach us a lesson. You don't put God, you don't part God for three months or 20 years anywhere. You just learn how to worship him with more reverence and respect and learn that it could happen again tomorrow. But though he slay me, though he slay me, Yet will I trust him. And though the skin worms come and eat this flesh, in my flesh I will see the Lord. Come on, somebody. We're going to celebrate the good times and the bad times. We're going to celebrate goodness and tragedy. We're going to celebrate heartache and joy. We're going to celebrate it all because it's the will of God. This is the day the Lord has made. His reverence for God was extravagant and unrestrained. Do you think, do you not think that slaughtering an ox and a fatted calf is a sacrificial offering to God every six steps is not a bit excessive? I can get into the sixth thing and it's the number of a man and all that. I get into all that, but, but don't you think, and he did that, dancing like a maniac in between sacrifice for eight miles. It's close to eight miles from here to the Baton Rouge Metropolitan Airport. Ryan Airport for those who's lived here a while. Could you do that? From here to the airport, take six steps and sacrifice an ox. He's not sacrificing a guinea pig. It took some work, man. And it took a lot of people and a lot of ox. I don't know how many segments of six steps are between here and the airport, but that's a lot of bloodshed, man. But that's the reverence that David gleaned out of his moment of tragedy for a God that's amazing. And so for six steps, he danced with all of his might like a lunatic and cut it off just like that. And sacrificed an ox. And as soon as that sacrifice was over, he danced again for eight miles. Reverence 
and celebration are not opposing tensions. They are supporting or balancing tensions that make our worship complete. David finally got it right. However, this isn't the end of the story. Be careful, Pentecostals, at what you think about what I'm preaching right now. Those of you on live stream, be careful right now before you form an opinion. There was somebody at the house watching this business. And it was the wife of David. And you listen to me today, Grace Church, as we prepare for the landing of this message. His wife criticized him, as we all know the story. And what did God do? He closed up her womb, and she never bare David's seed. Why are so many of us here this morning not productive in our relationship with God? Why? You answer the question. I'm not going to stand up here and answer it. It's because we still have a fear of God that we've not turned into reverence. God wants you to take your fear and your hesitancy and turn it into deep respect and say, I'm going to serve God, but I'm more than I ever have before, but I'm going to do it a little more carefully this time. And there are some things I'm not going to take for granted. And there's nothing that I'm going to assume. I want God to be pleased with my life, and I want to worship Him in every way that I know how. Yes, what David did was excessive, but he got his point across, and we all need to understand that. You're not going to make God behave the way you want him to behave and if you could take that fear and that respect don't abandon God don't push him back but embrace it sacrifice more than you've ever sacrificed give more than you've ever given do more than you've ever done and do it with all of your might and for those of you who want to criticize you'll never be productive again until you get past yourself if there's anyone here today that had a, 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 an inappropriate thought or an off-the-wall thought about Sister Brooke running the aisles, first time I've ever seen that. You talk about breakthrough? That was amazing. You lit me up. I wanted to follow her, but I'd be in the emergency room right now if I had it. My heart was in it. Sister Yvonne, my heart was in it. But anybody criticizes that, be careful. You'll never produce anything productive in your life again if you're not careful with your attitude. So this is what I want us to do today, if you'll stand with me. I want us to fill up these altars. In just a moment, I want us to fill up these altars. And I want us to begin 2018 with a time of repentance. Not so much over sin. If that needs to be done, do it, of course. But not for that reason. I want us to repent of our attitude. To never go back to feeling like an old, traditional, judgmental, wore out, hard, calloused, Pentecostal that hasn't produced anything for years. And the reason you haven't is because you either you criticize here or you criticize too much where you've come from. I can't imagine the audacity after all that had happened. And Michael knew all of that history. How in the world do you have the audacity to criticize David? Three months ago, you saw a good man struck dead. She was probably at his funeral. And you have the audacity to criticize a man for wanting to get it right? 
So, folks, for 2018, with everything in me, every fiber I got, I'm going to tell you, folks, I don't feel good today. I'm not at 100%. I'm tired. I've been fighting this mentality in our church now for months. I'm ready for my own breakthrough. I'm ready to see you have a breakthrough. There's too many people with too much going on in your head. You need to take God at face value and say, I'm going to worship like I've never worshipped before and I'm going to give like I've never given. And you learn how to reverence God and respect God and you learn how to worship Him passionately. And you don't mind getting out in the aisle. You don't mind raising your hand and clapping your hands. It's never too much to ask. We used to sing that old chorus years ago, when I think of the goodness of Jesus and all that He's done for me. I'm sure when that song was written... When it first came out, boy, everybody would just, when I think of the goodness of Jesus, all he's done for me, everybody, my soul cries out. And everybody just go, hallelujah, with all their might. But it became too Pentecostal. God knows my heart. Oh, my. We have just heard from the Lord. Y'all help me today. Somebody help me right now. God, I feel the Holy Ghost. There's young people here today. You need an attitude adjustment. You're playing with fire. You need to reverence God. You need to reverence what goes on here. This isn't based on your opinion and what you think. It's based on what the Word of God says. We need to have a moment with Jesus here today where we say, God, we're coming back. The presence of God has been absent in my life for three months or 20 years, whatever it is. But I'm coming back. And this time I'm going to give you more than I've ever given. And I'm going to respect you and I'm going to regard what you say. I'm going to do what you say. I want your will and purpose to be done in my life. I want the front of this building to fill up right now. We're not going to wait around forever. If you want to do this, do it. If you want to do this, do it. 2018's got to start off this way. God's going to be in His rightful place. He said, He just said, He just said, If you'll do it, I'll do it. If you do it, I'll do it. If you do it, I'll do it. I'm not sure that Michael's womb had to be closed forever. I wonder if God would have opened her womb if she had repented. Come on, somebody. It's time for somebody to have a breakthrough right now. Come on, everybody. Somebody worship right now. Somebody praise Him right now. Take your relationship with God. Move on it.
Somebody turn loose what you feel. Somebody turn loose what you feel right now. Come on, somebody, worship. 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 Yes. Jesus' name. Come on. God is with us now. God is with us now. Come on, Grace Church. It's time to move forward. It's time to embrace Jesus. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody.